Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business. With me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision? And how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Project Future podcast. My guest this week is Anthony Kingsley, a copywriter, travel agent and networker who is a passionate believer in following his interests. In this conversation, Anthony explains why it's important to learn how not to do things, what happens if businesses don't evolve, how COVID-19 has made people recognise the importance of community, pros and cons of running a franchise, why being clear about what benefit you can provide is key, why writing short posts is great training, and finally what the so what test can do for your business. Anthony's best advice is to be very clear what your product or service does to make your client's life better. Let's have a listen. Hi Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm delighted to, to speak with you. We've come together a, a little bit over the Hackney FSB, and I know that you've got a fascinating story. So I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about your background. Yes, certainly. I am currently calling myself the traveling copywriter. I'm a, a travel agent and a copywriter, but I have a background in education management. Um, I was the bursar of a Hackney Primary School some years ago, which was quite challenging as economic cuts forced us to look at budgets much more closely but the need for us to spend the money on the children of Hackney was uh, ever increasing. From there I was uh, effectively headhunted by uh, someone who owned an English language school for international students. He lived in Monaco but needed to have an English resident manager. Uh, So I went there initially thinking I'll be here for a year or two He was very, very successful in business, so I thought, I'll learn everything he has to uh, learn about setting up and running your own business, and then be off. Ten years later, I I was still there. Probably what I learned from him was how not to run a business, but it was a very, very interesting time for me. What was particularly rewarding was the way we were able to build the school up from being a cheap school that delivered absolutely the bare minimum to its students to an exceptionally good school that produced far more than students expected. Because we were a cheap school, a lot of students who came to us paid their own fees rather than wealthy parents basically paying their children to go away for a bit. So they were very, very motivated to learn. That made our teachers more motivated to teach and that in turn then motivated the students to do better. 
So we really exceeded ourselves on uh, inspections and everything else that we had to get through. It was a fabulous experience. And for me, it really opened my eyes to the, to the world and the people of the world. Unfortunately, at that time, the government were pursuing a very anti-immigration and particularly anti-student agenda. So it became increasingly difficult for students to get visas. And uh, I think January 17, the um, owner of the school said, this is pointless, um, I'm going to close the school down, uh, which we did. Because of that sort of interaction with an international audience, I felt, right, what am I going to do now? Travel seemed to be an obvious alternative. I didn't have any experience in travel at all and precious little in running a business. So I decided to go with a franchise. So I joined the Not Just Travel franchise and ran that for a good couple of years. At the same time, I was also helping my sister-in-law with her children's nursery and her children's soft play center. So effectively, I had the travel business for myself and the children's businesses for, for her. So that sort of kept me fairly busy. And then, of course, COVID. Yes, absolutely. Plenty there to jump back to. And I love what you said about, you know, how when you were working with the college that you almost learned how not to run a business, because I, I think that that can be such an, an eye opening experience. And, you know, I, I, w- I would never name names, but there's managers that I've worked with in the past who have taught me so much of what not to do. And sometimes that you can really learn so much more from that than you could the other way around. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a fascinating kind of angle there. I, I think some people might say, well, how can you say that, Anthony? Because he was a multimillionaire living in Monaco. He was extremely successful. But I think the point is that time doesn't stand still. And what was working even a few years ago may not necessarily work today. We have to, to evolve. And I think a number of businesses fail to recognize that the world is moving on and that they can't continue to do things as they have always done in the past. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, even tactics in sport, you know, I've been enjoying the Tour de France the last few weeks. It's like it's something that's um, that I've watched for many, many years and, and watching the Ineos team, formerly Team Sky, effectively doing what they've done for 15 years, but not getting the results that they're used to has, has been yeah. quite remarkable to see. And yeah, I think that sport for me is, is something that I'm, I've always been so fascinated in. And that absolutely crosses over to the world of business as well. Things, things move on. Um, yep. There's new entrants to almost every market that will, will do things in a different way. Yep. And startups will, will look to kind of challenge the established way of thinking. And yeah, we, we all move on. We all, we all have to do things in a, in a different ways. So tell me a bit more about the, the soft play center that you've worked on with, with your sister. Uh, Well, she's been there since 2011. It was uh, a place that I used to take my own children to, and I have to say, absolutely hated. (laughs) It was was busy, not enormously clean. It was basically in an old warehouse. Uh, The coffee was terrible, but the kids loved it. Then it closed down for a year or two, and my sister-in-law had the opportunity to take it over because her nursery is next door. Uh, So she took it over. We sort of First of all, put better coffee in, um, improve things. <laughs> Most important. <laughs> yes. Um, so that, that was going very, very well for a couple of years. And then the site, unfortunately, was sold under her nose to a, a local developer who originally planned to demolish it and replace it with flats. But during a, a consultation period that he organized, 
we had an enormous amount of support from the public to such an extent that he withdrew his application and then worked with us to produce a plan that was going to be better for us and would enable him to have his flats. So planning permission was whistled through on that basis. We moved into a temporary building behind the old building, which was okay. It's a lot smaller, um, so that has an impact on our revenue. The developer has had a lot of difficulty in actually getting to the point of starting his demolition. We should be in the new building now, but he's only started demolition this week. And a lot of the promises that were made to us are now um, melting away in the summer sun. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen there. We do have the temporary premises that we can possibly remain in, and we have an exceptionally good landlord. Um, so that's an option for us. The play centre is called Kidsmania. It is, I think, quite unique in the sense that it does provide for a huge cross-section of Hackney society. We'll get everybody in from yummy mummies to members of the travelling community. We get children from every single background playing happily together. We try and cater for particular sections. Uh, so, for example, we have a school for autistic children. Um, who can't really play in a public session. So we close uh, for an hour a week for them to come and play on their own. And we do have a, a few other groups like that. So there's children from a women's refuge who come to play. We get a lot of fathers who have to have supervised contact. They will come here. Um, so it plays an important role within the community. But the best thing of all is seeing lots of happy children playing together quite happily while their parents are fighting in the aisles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I say, I, I know from personal experience how, how challenging it can be when you've got a, a developer and, and you know, that wants the site. You know, I'm from Basildon and, yeah. you know, so much of what we've had over the years has been taken away. And, you know, we, we've had an incident recently, which thankfully has had a positive outcome uh, for the community where, you know, the, a community centre has been saved where the, the community rallied around it um, and refused effectively to have it turned into flats uh, we've, we've now got a program of works in place and uh, and an energized community who have been in volunteering to clean up the site which has been closed for 18 months outside and cleared away all the rubbish and you know people volunteering to make it all ready to open again so it shows what can happen when when the community get behind something and, and are, uh, are really passionate and in our case it seems as though you know once it reopens it's going to be better than it was before which is, is such an exciting thing and and something that we couldn't have foreseen so yeah i wish you every success uh with with that and you know yeah. because those facilities are so important uh for for all all communities you know a, a community can't just be kind of a, a station and some flats we all need so much more than that yes exactly i think that's exactly the point is the community is the people in it and not just the buildings and if nothing else i think that's one of the things to come out of covid is that people do now recognize the importance of community yeah absolutely so your travel business clearly it, it would have been hit very very hard by covid so I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what you did before COVID with the with the travel business, what it was like running a franchise. As I say, I don't think that's something that's come up on the show before. So that that'd be really interesting to dive a bit into into how working in a franchise environment was. And then and then perhaps if you could tell us what you did. Well, I, I've 
decided to go into a franchise uh, because although it's an expensive way of getting into a business in some ways, uh, where you don't have experience, it's great to have a supportive line ahead of you, above you, sort of helping you to to gain the experience that you need. Not Just Travel is a fantastic franchise. Uh, there's a huge amount of training, which is ongoing. Lots of people to talk to if you need to. It's also very well recognized within the travel community. So it immediately gives you credibility, which you wouldn't have as uh, someone setting up on your own for the first time. There are drawbacks with being in a franchise. Uh, you are slightly limited as to what you can or, or can't do. Um, we have to follow the franchise line. However, most of those boundaries are there for a particular reason um, to protect you from doing something that you shouldn't do. Not just travel is um, uh, is regulated by APTA, um, which is an essential qualification in the travel industry. So obviously we have to comply with whatever APTA provides in terms of projecting yourself and, and marketing and everything of that nature. So even though I've now got much more experience with uh, travel, um, I still see the advantages of being within a franchise. We're our own independent businesses, but we are part of a much bigger whole. And with the world getting increasingly global, that sense of being within a, a bigger group but free to do your own thing is a great sense of reassurance. Travel is quite a challenging business to be in because it's so easy now to to book a holiday on your phone, let alone um, on a laptop. Um, so we have to be quite clear about the benefit that we provide to our customers. Quite often a customer will contact me and say, I've got a price from whoever, can you match it? And the answer is no. Apart from anything else, why would I do lots lots more work to get much less money? There's always going to be something cheaper. And if we want to enter in a, the way I put it is, if you enter in a race to the bottom, one of you ends up with a thud when you land there. So we have to be quite clear what it is that we provide in terms of value to our customers. Now, that could be the sort of personal relationships that we um, develop with travel suppliers um, to ensure that our customers are well looked after at, at their destination. It could be uh, product knowledge or destination knowledge. It could just be taking the whole stress out of booking a holiday and everything else that goes with it and handling anything when it goes wrong. That's what people are buying, that they're not buying the, the cheapest ticket to Torremolinos. So that's quite a, a challenge because um, not many customers will be aware of that initially. They think you're a travel agent, you must get fantastically low prices. Well, yes, we do, but that's our profit. So that, that I think is the main challenge for, for travel agents. Yeah, and, and it, it's a market that's, that has changed so fundamentally since the internet you know, came, yeah. came around. I'm, I'm just about old enough to, you know, remember when I was kind of 18, looking at kind of holidays to the likes of Toro Molinos in a, in a physical travel brochure, you know, yeah. and, and you, you take the, you take the hotel at their word that they provide what they say they provide in their 50 words next to their little picture yeah. without being able to get the independent reviews and all the, all the great stuff that we can get now. So yeah, I absolutely understand how, you know, the, the industry has, had to shift hugely um, in order to you know not be a race to the bottom and purely offer the, the cheapest prices and yeah it's a I think it's a really great case study in you know how you can provide firstly the convenience the peace of mind but then also 
you know the the quality in order to find something that that absolutely matches the interests of the customer that they might not either be able to find out themselves or or have the time to find out themselves in, to yeah. to kind of seek that solution so so yeah it's 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 a really interesting case study yes it's a fascinating world yeah the challenge of course is still there i know that there are some people who are predicting that travel agency will be will have gone by 2025 and that is a possibility I think my experience with the language school has taught me don't think that everything carries on forever. Um, it may well be that travel agency will improve because of COVID, or it may be that in a year or so we'll feel much more confident to carry on booking on their own. Hotels in particular are getting very, very savvy about uh, attracting customers to book with them direct. And if they're offering a lower price, there's no way I'm, I can compete with their own price. I have to take the price that they offer me. So if they offer a lower price direct, there's nothing I can do about that. So it's, again, I think um, a lesson in keeping aware of how things might change and making sure that your eggs aren't in one basket. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a nice segue there because I know that's something that you've done quite significantly. So what happened when, when COVID hit and you were forced to close the business temporarily? So initially we've, I think back in March when world shut, not March 2020, when the world shut down, we all thought that this would just be three, four months. We'd probably be up and running again in September. I did have to organize a few refunds, but fortunately not too many. What a lot of people didn't really appreciate about travel agents is that uh, we had to work to get our clients' money back to them. Um, so not only were we not being paid for that, but uh, we still had things, might be minor charges, but things like credit card charges to meet and stuff that we weren't getting. So we've, we've done the work. We then had to refund it, and then we had to pay the cost of refunding the money. So it's all but very traumatic. Um, I then had a booking in September, which I had to uh, cancel. And I thought, right, I'm going to put the business into hibernation. Um, it's, it's pointless working with this level of uncertainty. And I'm going to concentrate on something else. Um, at the time, I had the soft play center to fall back on if I needed to. Initially, what I planned to do was to work on my own skills for the purpose of the travel agency. So I decided to take a copywriting course. I've always had reasonably good feedback from the things that I've written in terms of LinkedIn posts or blog posts. I've had to draft quite a lot of letters and that sort of stuff for people. So... I thought, yes, I can write. What I wanted was to have some proper sort of validation of what I was doing. So I undertook a course that uh, through the Blackford Centre, which included a tutor uh, and written work being marked. It was much more expensive than the average online course. But it did mean that when I was writing stuff, getting it submitted, I was saying, or getting someone independent saying, yes, this is good, this is less good, this is what you need to work on. While I was doing that, then... Uh, a few people found out that I was doing a bit of copywriting, so someone asked if I would help them with their website. I did that, got some good feedback from that, and that led on to a little bit more work and a little bit more work, and it's sort of grown steadily from that. So I then thought, right, why not do this for, for money? So I went from starting the course in order to improve my own travel business to thinking this would be a good alternative or a good addition to uh, my existing business while travel is in hibernation. 
Yeah, I love it. And certainly, you know, your your LinkedIn posts, uh, you do a, a long one normally each Monday, don't you? And uh, I always look forward to it every Monday morning because there's it's always on a different subject and it, it always gets you thinking as well. I think it's it's such a, a clever, you know, from going through the book writing process, I've learned a lot about writing that I didn't learn, even though I've got an English A level in literature and things, you know, I think you can only really get the get that experience through writing yourself and to yeah. and, and to see how how you structure a post and how you you can be absorbed in it i think that's that's the word it's it's being absorbed in what's being said and not being distracted and wanting to kind of see what happens at the end you know so even though the post's only kind of two or three hundred words it's it, it really kind of draws you in if you like so yeah i can absolutely see the value in that and why people would want to uh, to work with you in order to kind of deliver that for their business. The, the old LinkedIn format of posts, uh, which was, as you say, I think 1,300 characters, is a fantastic training for getting what you want out quickly. Now that they've expanded the post, I'm not sure how long it is now, but it seems it can go on forever, you quite often see some posts where you start to read it, but then think, oh, for goodness sakes, and it just goes on and on and on. The old LinkedIn posts I thought were fantastic for just saying what you needed to say. Quite hard to get it within those character limits, but fantastic training for making sure that you did. Yeah, absolutely. So now you've taken that forwards, and I, I think there's a there's a theme here, isn't there? You've been willing to pivot and to to do something different, you know, as you've gone through your career. But equally, you've you've focused a lot on what your interests are and, and what you kind of want to to deliver and the goals that you want to achieve and, and the value that you want to kind of bring to others so yeah you know how conscious has, has, has that been for you over the years where you've kind of taken this forwards and, and gone through that approach I think I would probably say that initially it was quite unconscious D- during one of the uh, inspections we had at the language school where for the first time we exceeded expectations one of the inspectors said that I was the, the glue that held everything together and hadn't really thought of myself in those terms before, but I think that that was probably right. I was able to mould everything towards a single purpose or where we really focused on, on giving great value to our students. And it's sort of something I think that's underpinned everything that I've done before. I, I enjoy helping people and I don't mind if that help is unseen as as glue might be um i enjoy being part of the process of going from a to b with someone so i would say that's probably what 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 underpins what i have done uh, now much more consciously because it's been put into words by an outsider and that's often the way isn't it it's it's often that you're you're too close to something yourself to be able to to really notice that and yeah it it, it can take somebody's somebody's outside view to to be able to make that clear to you and and kind of and provide that insight that then allows you to kind of take it forward consciously yes absolutely yeah fantastic so as we are july 2021 as we're recording this things are just starting to to open up again what do you see as the as the future for you uh, clearly you're you're prepared for change or always prepared for change but how do you see things going i'm i'm hoping that that travel will open up in a really meaningful sense i'm not really expecting much before after the summer period Uh, and of course we've got this big question mark will the opening up just lead us back into lockdown again uh, as happened last year effectively 
And of course, the other point we have to bear in mind is it's not just what happens here, it's what happens in the destinations that we want to go to. Yeah. I'm a great believer in thinking that if, you, if you're going on holiday, you want to have a, a stress-free time. If you've got to be worrying about whether your test is one hour inside the time limit or one side one hour outside the time limit or whether the country you're in is going to go from amber to red, I don't really see how you can relax and enjoy yourself. Once I see a bit more certainty in, in that process, either COVID is defeated or alternatively we learn how to live with it better, then I'll feel much more confident about opening up uh, properly and really uh, promoting travel as best as I can. In terms of copywriting, it's still relatively new for me. I'm still developing my niche and getting clearer as to where I want to get to with it. My initial ambition of it just being something to use in my travel business has, has moved on. But I wouldn't say that I'm entirely clear about where I want to move to. So that's something I need to work on. I call myself the, the traveling copywriter uh, because I want to try and unite those, those two businesses under one brand. It can be a little bit confusing. People do say, do you do copywriting in things other than travel? Uh, yes, please. Yes. And some travel brands will say, well, why would we need you as a copywriter when we've got you as a travel agent? So there is a, a, a bit of sort of work I need to do there on, on clarifying exactly where I want to go. But what I'm hoping is that I can effectively run the two businesses side by side uh, and one will inform and help the other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wish you every, every success uh, with it going forwards. And I, I know that your, your content is is fabulous and it's a great platform to, to work from as you, as you move forwards. So before we finish, there's four questions that I ask every guest on the show. So I'd love to know uh, what your best piece of advice is for somebody thinking about starting a business today. I think be very clear about what it is that your, your product or your service does to make your your client or your customer's life better. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. And tell us a bit more. How would you suggest that they, they go about doing that? Because it's it's such it's such a key point. What tactics or technique would you would you say to, to think about in terms of how they can drive that forwards? This is really something that's uh, come from uh, learning copywriting. Uh, we have what's called the, the so what test. So you might say, my, my product does X, Y, Z, so what? Well, it does, and you keep asking, so what, until you get to what is the real benefit to, to your customer, which is quite often quite different to that you think is the benefit. So if, for example, I were to take travel and what my customer wants is the cheapest possible price, I'm out of business. So it's important, I think, to establish, is what you are providing going to benefit your customer in the way that your customer wants to be benefited otherwise back to the drawing board yeah that's great and it's it's a technique that i've used in the past and it can yeah. get very frustrating very quickly <laughs> if, yeah. when you're on the end of those questions but yeah. at the same time it, it does challenge you to to think deeply and to really question what it is that you're doing and why somebody should care um, yeah. because you know that's and, you know, sometimes I think those, it's exercises like those that, that do challenge you and are frustrating that add the value. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And again, not something that's come up on the show before. So what do you know now that you wish you knew 
back when you started your business or indeed earlier in your career? I think the answer to that would be, I can do it. Be confident in yourself. What I find when I'm doubting myself, particularly with with copywriting, which is a fairly new step for me, is if I then go and read someone else's work, apart from the experts, but just looking at the average Facebook ad or whatever it is, the quality is so poor that I think, well, I can do better than that. So I I think it's important that you retain confidence in yourself, coupled with a a bit of humility, of course, as well. Indeed. And having confidence, you know, if you don't have confidence in yourself, then why would anybody have reason to be confident in you? And it's that really is a it's such a foundation stone. And, you know, there, there, there can be the fear of failure, but then also fear of success as well. And yeah. I think that's that's something that, you know, isn't spoken about probably as often as it should be. Yeah. But if, if you're not confident, then there's probably the chance that you're scared of succeeding in a, in a way. So. So, yeah, it's a it's a really key point. And, you know, I, I often you know speak to people about even even in employment. If somebody thinks that you're suitable for a promotion, then they they probably think you can do the job. You know, otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't look to offer you that promotion, or they wouldn't employ you in the first place. So yeah. I think there's there has to be that kind of level of of, of self confidence, even if it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, in order to to kind of to do that, in order to to kind of get to that next stage and to succeed yeah. and to and to feel comfortable and confident in that environment. So yeah, excellent point. Um, is there a resource that you'd recommend? So be it a, a podcast, a website, a blog, a book, anything along those lines that you'd, you'd recommend for people early on in their business journey? Uh, yes, there's a book called Unlimited by Becca Tears that I read at least once a year. Um, it's very much about mindset and some of it I think, okay, I'm not too sure about this. I'm, I'm very dubious about visualizations and vision boards and all this sort of stuff. However, the book as a whole is very empowering. I quite often find with these types of books that they tend to be written by Americans. I don't really relate too well to what they're saying. Nothing against Americans. They're wonderful people. But um, uh, I often think these don't, this doesn't really apply to me. Becca lives, I think, in Kent. She's not the sort of person you would say, aha, business guru. But her book is easy to read it's very sensible uh but it it sort of covers all the sort of the big people like um if you know the miracle miracle morning and seven habits of very successful people all of that sort of in there but given a a british slant um so that would be the book i would recommend fantastic i will have to look up that book myself because it's not one that i know so the the other book we shouldn't forget of course is project future uh, (laughs) thank you yeah, it's very, very kind of you to say, so, <laughs> and yeah. not pro- not prompted. <laughs> British author, we can easily relate to you. I'm a great believer in reading British authors. Uh, it's not just a sort of shop local thing. It's just I think we we respond better to to what we to what other people in our position say. I, I don't have any um, feeling of empathy with someone like Seth Godin or Simon Sinek or any of these other people. Maybe I will once I'm a sort of multi-billionaire or whatever they are. But um, at this point, no, I, I sort of think, no, I, what you're saying doesn't apply to me. But when I meet someone at a networking event and then read their book, it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, it's fascinating. And and certainly, 
the Business Book Awards um, is uh, something that was started, I think, three or four years ago by Lucy Makara. And, you know, that's for British authors. Um, it's run each year. I think there's, there's something like a dozen categories now, and it's it's grown from strength to strength. Mm. And for, for people that, you know, do want to kind of t- take a step back and, and look at what's coming out from British authors in in the business space, uh, then yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend looking up the the Business Book Awards and uh, seeing yeah. the winners and the and the shortlist uh, each year um, because uh, I say that took place uh, in the spring. It takes place in the spring uh-huh. each year, so yeah. Uh, yeah, some some fabulous books there and uh, ones that you might not necessarily be aware of if they've not been in the news as well. So mm. uh, yeah, brilliant stuff. And is there a guest that you'd recommend for a future episode of the show? Well, I'm pretty sure you could uh, persuade Becca uh, to um, to come on. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, I will. And after I've read her book, uh, so I will. I will do that first and uh, and get in touch with some with some knowledge and some context. So great stuff. Thank you. And just finally, Anthony, if people want to know more about you and and what you do, either from a, a travel or a copy uh, writing point of view, then where should they go and what should they do? Uh, well, I have. Um two websites. My travel website is um, anthonykingsley at notjusttravel.com and my copywriting one is travelingcopywriter.com. But perhaps the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. Anthony Kingsley, Traveling Copywriter, usually pulls me up quite quickly. Yeah, fantastic. And I say it's uh, well worth following or, or connecting with with Anthony and 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 checking out those Monday posts uh, because they uh, they're a great way to start the week. So, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. I've I've really enjoyed speaking with you and learning more about what it is that you do. So, thank you. Thank you, Rob. It's been uh, most enjoyable. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to today's episode. My top three takeaways this week can be summarised in one word each community, disruptors, and glue. First, community. You heard from Anthony how important it is to him and to everyone who uses the Soft Play Centre in Hackney. Going all the way back to episode two, Danny Mosley explained how starting an after-school cookery class was so useful to the families in her area. If you're thinking of doing something for your local community, what's missing that you could create and people would find valuable? Or indeed, what's already there but you could execute better? My second takeaway is disruptors. Anthony's been impacted more than most over the last few years, and not only by startups, as we regularly talk about on this show, but by a horrible virus, asset holders within the travel industry cutting out the middleman, and by landowners looking to change the use of his leased asset. This show's disruption can come from anywhere, and having visibility of the potential risks and then mitigating them in a timely manner can make all the difference between success and failure. I think Anthony is a great example of someone willing to make decisions and make changes because however well we plan, things will always pop up that we don't expect and we have to be ready to change. Finally, glue. Anthony describes how he was deemed the glue that holds everything together. When running a business, one way or another, that's a key part of our role and it's often unseen, as Anthony says. Many of the trickiest conversations I've had as a project manager over the years have been unseen. And it's great to hear Anthony speak about this in a similar way. I've often referred to project management as being the oil in the engine, enabling all the complicated and highly skilled parts of the engine, or the team, to succeed in their role. Equally, being the glue enables every part of the puzzle to stick together 
and create something that both makes sense and can withstand being turned upside down once or twice. On next week's show, I'm travelling virtually, going transcontinental indeed, as I speak with the wonderful Tenny Majekodunmi on providing a platform. If you enjoyed today's episode, have a scan through the catalogue and pick another one that stands out to you. And why not speak to a friend about the show? The more people we reach, the greater impact we can have. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.